0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, thirteen fifty on your AM dial, one hundred three point nine on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Good friend of ours back on the show, talk about another book. Mike is a Mike Aquilina is a very prolific author okay um you you can't say enough about the fact he's just pumping out information that we as catholics need to know we love talking to mike because joe and i love history um and most important history of course is the history of the catholic church um and today we're going to be talking about mike's new book africa and the early church the almost thank god almost forgotten roots of catholic christianity mike gacolino welcome back to the front line with joe and joe brother
2: hey thanks for having me back you guys never learn do you? We love not, you, Mike. Uh, we love you.
0: Gluttons for punishment. <laughs> uh, but those of you out there, uh, most of you out there know who Mike Aquilina is. Having said that, some of you may not. Mike Aquilina is executive vice president of the St. Paul Center and a contributing editor for Angelus News. He's the author of more than 50 books, including The Fathers of the Church and also How the Fathers Read the Bible, Scripture, Liturgy, and the Early Church. Remember, you could buy all these. Mike, it's Emmaus Road Publishing, correct?
2: Yep. Yep. Yes, that's my publisher.
0: Absolutely. And we always recommend to our audience, please, buy the books of all of our authors from the Catholic publishers that publish those books. Please, we have to support the authors and the publishers. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Mike Aquilina, and we'll have a great conversation.
1: Mike, we always begin with the prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Remember our most gracious Virgin Mary. Never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin, of virgin's our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. oh Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Name, Amen. Of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Mike, I'm going to give you a little antidote because we're going to be talking Africa and the early church. I don't even know if Joe Facilla knows this, but I'm going to I'm going to tell you guys. My grandfather on my father's side fought in the italian and ethiopian war and was a prisoner of war and was in jail in ethiopia that is a true story well so i have some roots there and italy lost that (laughs) war by the way Mm -hmm. we're not known for our our fighting michael
2: and i think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that ethiopia where your your grandfather was a. was 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 imprisoned it was a christian country is a christian country and has been a christian country you know since the early days of the church
0: there yeah, it is mike, talk, actually let's let's start there if you don't mind okay yeah. um there are people have a misconception i think when it comes to uh, uh, let, uh if correct me if i'm wrong mike aquilina that's ethiopian coptic am i correct mm-hmm. uh that's a church there's egyptian coptic there's mm-hmm. about 20 or so churches, you know, between Africa and the Middle East that that are uh, there for a very long time, that are in communion with the Catholic Church. They are part of the Catholic Church. They're just a different right. Am I correct in that?
2: Yes, yes. There are both separated Christians and Catholic Christians in those countries, and the faith has been there since very early in the Church's history. Sometimes we don't have a documentary record, so we can't say exactly when the Church arrived or who brought it. But the faith has been there for for many centuries and and almost since the beginning, if not from the very beginning. And Ethiopia is one of those countries that that can lay a, a you know a, a pretty sure claim to uh, early adoption of Christianity.
0: It's funny. The first time I had ever heard of the Ethiopian Church um, is uh, I don't know why, Mike, but I was just reading and I came across the Book of Enoch,
2: mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is
0: obviously not in our Bible. But the Ethiopians actually have the Book of Enoch um, in 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 their Bible, and I just found that interesting. I said, "Well, there's an Ethiopian Church," you know, and then you, obviously I learned from there. But anyway, I just I just find that interesting because a lot of the times the Catholic Church is portrayed, particularly. Uh, you know amongst our enemies let's put it like that atheists and and people like that who love to beat up on the church as some crusty old white man's religion european religion and that's the opposite of the truth absolutely
2: you're right you're right yeah. that's the opposite of the truth there's there's this um this equation of Christianity with European culture. And that's not the way it was in the early church. Of course, Christianity uh, emerged out of Semitic culture, but it spread quickly in every generation so that within the, the time of the apostles, it had already reached the furthest shores of India, and it had already reached into Africa. There were converts in these places, and the church had its toehold in those places. Sometimes we don't get further history for a while, but no, we, we were diverse from the beginning. The very word Catholic implies that diversity. The word means universal in Greek, and we wanted, you know, God wanted the church to be universal from the start.
0: Absolutely. And Mike, that's what that's why we love having you on the show, because Joe and I say all the time, we're learning as much as our audience is learning and we all have to see it's not enough to just to know the faith. And that's great. All right. But we ought to know the history. Yes. of the church. And that's why yes. we're so grateful that you're here. So, go ahead, Joe Resinello. I kind of cut you off a little no, bit. No, it's okay.
1: I- it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Uh let's talk about we'll take it, you know, from the beginning, Roman Empire. How did they influence Northern Africa and why was this significant when it came to the early
2: stages of Christianity? <laughs> well, Rome influenced northern africa first by fighting with it for more than a century and that's before the time of jesus christ rome and the major coastal city in north africa carthage were just like this for more than 100 years okay they were at war with one another and they were bent on destruction conquest one of them would emerge the winner and it the fighting was fierce and it lasted a long time so there was great hatred between the you know, the emerging Roman Empire and uh and in Carthage in North Africa. Finally Rome won, even though Carthage had made had made some uh some some uh, inroads uh onto the european continent you you read about hannibal and uh taking his elephants o- over into the alps right uh well you know that did happen uh, hannibal came from carthage and uh and got in that far into the into the european continent but when rome won it took its its vengeance all right and rome destroyed carthage destroyed the city and turned the area into a roman colony all right now established the Roman colony in that, the first century BC. Uh, but, uh, you know, by the time the first Christians were around, it was pretty well established and already intermixed with all of the, the, the peoples, the native peoples in the area around Carthage. So the, the Roman city of Carthage was emerging as a literary, cultural, and intellectual center in, in the, the just beginning Roman Empire at that time, there was a great uh, literary renaissance going on in North Africa, and it all involved the Latin language. So we find that the influence wasn't so much from Rome to Carthage as from Carthage. To Rome, because all of these great figures in Latin literature, like Apuleius, the novelist; Terence, the uh, the playwright; um, uh, the the historian Herodotus, and um, and and many legal scholars, well, they're writing from North Africa, but they're influencing what we would call the mainland. They're influencing the imperial capital in Rome. Profound influence, and that continues into the Christian era, so that. Almost all of the great thinkers writing in Latin in the first three centuries, think about that, the first three centuries, almost all of the great thinkers writing in Latin are writing in North Africa.
0: And, and obviously, the, all, all of this writing is helping to shape the church at this time. Uh, uh, am I correct, Mike Aquilina?
2: You got it right. I mean, think about it. The first great th- theologian writing in Latin is Tertullian a North African, but a prolific man brilliant man legal scholar converts to christianity starts writing all different kinds of works uh, uh apologetic works and uh and theological works and 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 all sorts of things works of counsel spiritual counsel uh and and he is he is tremendously influential on in all the subsequent history of the church so he's writing in the late 100s He's not the only one writing from Africa at that time, but he's the major figure. And it's Tertullian who introduced into the Latin language terms like trinitas, trinity. We mm-hmm. get that word from him, uh, sacramentum, to describe the, uh, the the ritual life of the church. Sacramentum meaning sacrament. We get that Latin word from him, and it comes with a lot of Latin associations. But it's Tertullian who, who's really shaping the mind of the church in these ways.
0: Absolutely. Mike Aquilina is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pacillo and Joe Rossinello, way in the breach. Um, Emmaus Road Publishing is the publisher, in the book is Africa and the Early Church, the almost forgotten roots of Catholic Christianity. Joe Rossinello.
1: Mike, when you're talking Northern Africa and you're talking culture, I know Alexandria played a huge role. I mean, it was sort of like from what I have read about it, like sort of like the Harvard, they had like a huge library. And if you were like the guy, the smart guy, that's where you went.
2: Talk about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it had been that way for a long time. Uh, Since, you know, 300 years before Christ, it had been an intellectual center. It was probably, uh, you know, a, a lively place of culture before that. But once the Greeks took over, you know, they established it as kind of Uh, A university town, just as you described, there were research centers there. There was the greatest library in the world was in Alexandria. There was also the great lighthouse, one of the wonders of the world, was there in Alexandria. Uh, It was a harbor city. It was a center of commerce. It was a great uh, military position. But most of all, you know, it was a center of intellectual activity. And it was that way uh, in the Roman world. And as Christianity emerged, it became one the intellectual capital of the Christian world as well. It was Greek speaking. Before we were talking about Carthage, which was Latin speaking, well, now we have this the center, intellectual center of the Greek world. There was in the first century, about the time of St. Paul, there was a, a great figure uh, based there, a Jewish figure. He was a theologian. His name was Philo, Philo of Alexandria, and he had many disciples. He was profoundly influential in the Jewish world. and uh, And the fathers of the church, some of them claimed that he became a Christian. We don't know that for sure but i think we can be pretty sure that at least some of his disciples did because there was a certain cast of mind for alexandrian christianity from the beginning and all of it shows the influence of philo who liked to uh, give allegorical readings of the old testament stories so uh, so that um so that they were allegories from pointing to virtues or pointing to heavenly realities uh, uh, Alexandrian Christianity always bears that mark.
0: Mike, let me ask you this just from an historical uh give, give me some historical perspective. At this point in Egyptian history is are the Ptolemy still in power or is or the Romans completely control Egypt at this point?
2: During the time of Christianity the Romans are are pretty firmly in control. Uh, you know, they they've they've got the world at that point. Uh, Augustus really did settle that question during his lifetime and mm-hmm. uh and 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 really created the conditions for world peace so that many people saw him as a sort of savior because he suppressed piracy on the open seas mm-hmm. that enabled free commerce all over the world from india to rome uh so so there was a lot of prosperity during that time this was a and and, and not only that but he he also um he he also uh, you know, created a system of roads so that people could get around the empire. He created a postal service so that people could send goods and letters from one end of the empire to the other. And uh, and he uh, he happened his lifetime coincided with the discovery of the trade winds, trade winds which in a, further enabled free free uh, traffic on the seas. So um, so Augustus. Uh, you know, seem to be preparing the way for something big, right? And that's, that's I—I like,
0: I, I yeah. couldn't help but think that whenever, whenever I hear that about Rome, I say, "Well, of course, God allowed that because eventually it was going to be the church that took over that governing apparatus uh, and that right. structure, the roads, the 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 the, the mail system, uh, the, 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 the 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 governmental structure." That's right. know, with, 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 with the with the Pope and the bishops and who are basically like governors, um, I always said, yeah, of course God allowed that because He was going to let the Church take that over at some point.
2: And, and the and, and the apostles themselves were traveling those roads. You know, they were sailing those those seas. They were they were taking advantage of these these new conditions of peace and prosperity so that they could reach the ends of the earth as as their Master had taught them to do and commanded them to do.
0: Absolutely. Joe Racinello.
2: Mike,
1: as the Roman Empire came to a close, how did that impact the church? Now we're talking, and please correct me if I'm wrong, probably 5th century-ish, uh, give or take. Um, Constantine obviously made it legal to be a Christian. Now the empire is now looking east. How did that impact Northern Africa and the
2: Christians there? Well, you know, you know, when we talk about Christianity in North Africa, by that time— uh, you know, we're, we're we're talking about the dominant religion in all of those lands that were under Roman control, and even some that were a little beyond Roman control. So, uh, you know, what territories are we talking about? Well, today, we're, these countries are Libya, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, uh, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Sudan, uh, Egypt, you know, those countries were all Uh, pretty firmly established as Christian at that time. But, uh, you know, when we're talking about the 5th century, you know, as you mentioned, uh, there are different kinds of Christians. There are heretical Christians who are closing in on Christian lands in North Africa. As St. Augustine lay dying, he knew that his city was being besieged by vandals, right? These, These heretical Christians, these barbarian Christians who were probably going to win... And they were probably going – you know, they were going to take his city, and when they did that, they would take down Catholic Christianity and and put uh, Aryan Christianity, this heretical Christianity, up in its place.
1: That's so what he, the Vandals are doing in New Jersey as we <laughs> speak,
2: Michael. <my laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm not St. Augustine, but I'm watching it uh, unfold oh, right
2: before my eyes. Oh, my. Well, Saint Augustine you know is dying with this this happening at the gates. so um so so that that trend only got worse in some places uh, through the remaining uh, through the centuries after that. Uh, what we find in the 600s and 700s uh, is a, a wave of Arab invasions you know led by Muhammad. and of course wherever Muhammad uh, conquered, he established his religion that he had founded Islam as the religion of the of the land, and so many of those those lands that had formerly been Christian, very rather rather rapidly, uh, became Muslim lands, and they remain so to this day. Yeah, although they, many of them have a have have a, a Christian population that has endured for centuries
0: endured and and in some cases, well in many cases need our prayers because yes. obviously they're 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 under they're under some real real persecution. When people think that, you know, that people aren't being oh persecution. That's for centuries ago. No, no, no. It's happening every day.
2: No, we it's have happening. more martyrs, we have more martyrs in our century than they had in the fourth century. And that should that should appall us.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, and, you know, if you're just joining us here, Mike Aquilina is joining us at the the line with Joe and Joe, Africa and the Early Church, the almost forgotten roots of Catholic Christianity. Mike Aquilina, I'm so happy that you wrote this book, because I think that, you know, when you look at what we're talking about, the development of Christianity in North Africa, the, the rise of Islam, I mean, this should not be a forgotten place. Um, this you know, central to the to the what they call the great religions of the world, we really ought to be talking about North Africa. It amazes me that that you know, history would let this be forgotten. But let me let me, I just wanted to comment on that, but let me ask you this. Uh, you mentioned Saint Augustine, who are some out of this period here? Okay, who are some of the saints, other saints, maybe? Uh, who are some of the the martyrs that we should know about coming out of this period and this region of the world?
2: Very early on, we have Perpetua and Felicity, right? Who are who are both giants, two young women who died for the faith in, in Carthage in North Africa. Uh, and we remember them in the first Eucharistic prayer today. Uh this they're they're important uh for a number of reasons, and not least because they were women, right? Perpetua is in prison and she keeps a prison diary that becomes established immediately as a great work of Christian literature. Now, I defy you to tell me the name of a pagan woman author of similar statue from that same time period. Mm-hmm. You can't, because Christianity had already revolutionized the, the, their its own world— you know so that we could have women come forward as teachers as leaders in the church and perpetua really does take that role among her um, her co-religionists in prison she emerges as their charismatic leader she keeps the prison diary which becomes a bestseller instantly throughout the entire church it's a bestseller in italy there are images of perpetua painted in italy at that time so she becomes a superstar a celebrity this is unique in that world for a woman to accomplish this, right? She's a great name. And and her companion Felicity, also a great name in the ancient church. I mentioned Tertullian already. Um, uh, Cyprian of Carthage, one of the, the great figures of the, the third century. Cyprian gave us so many of the... Uh, uh, the 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 quotable lines that kind of form the mind of Western Christians. You know, he said, "Outside the church, there's no no salvation. Prefer nothing to Christ." He said, and and that's something that's often quoted, often attributed to Saint Benedict. But Saint Benedict was only quoting Saint Cyprian, who lived much before him. Cyprian is another great figure, and he died as a martyr too. Um, and 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 once we get to Augustine, we're talking about. You know one of the handful of 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 uh of major figures eminent figures in the history of the church augustine is the figure most quoted by thomas aquinas in the summa theologica augustine is the figure most quoted you know outside the the sacred scriptures the figure most quoted in the catechism of the catholic church so if augustine had been the only saint ever to come from africa we would still owe everything to Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to think about, we got to know this story, first of all, and then we have to think about it not as something foreign to us, This is our story. These are the figures who shaped the mind of Western Christianity. These are the most important figures, you know, in the development of Christianity in those years. We think of ourselves as Roman Catholics. Well, there wasn't a lot of intellectual and theological activity going on in Rome. The center of gravity at that time in in the Christian intellectual life in the West, you know, among Latin speakers was in Carthage, the center of gravity in the east among greek speaking christians was alexandria this is all happening in africa so many of the major events all of the early church also happened in africa the, the latin liturgy you know from from which we get the liturgy we're, we're we're celebrating today that originated not in rome but in carthage in north africa and and from there it traveled to rome we have no evidence of the latin liturgy being celebrated in italy until the middle of the three hundreds, you know, uh, uh, almost almost two centuries after it began in North Africa.
0: Uh, Joe, I'm just gonna. I want a follow up question, real quick, Mike. Please, you, please, you you please. mentioned you mentioned the liturgy. Yeah. Uh, what's going on with the Bible at this point? At this particular moment in Africa, where are we in terms of the canon of Scripture?
2: You know, th- there was a general consensus about which books were were authentic, authoritative within the church. There were certain books that you could read during the liturgy and certain books that you could not read in the context of the liturgy. And and the books that you could read were those that were considered the canonical scriptures. Now, when the church got around to, to acknowledging, okay, we've got to have a list, where did those first lists come from? Well, we have the Moratorian fragment, which is from northern Italy, and it's and and again we're talking uh about about um we're talking about Italy at that point. Later on, though, the the Mur, the, the Moratorian canon though uh is incomplete. It's not the 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 canon as we know it today. Where do we get the first complete canons? Well, from Athanasius in Alexandria in Africa and the councils of Hippo and Carthage at the end of the 300s the beginning of the 400s in you know in North Africa so the first canons and the the the, the great discussion of um of the biblical canon you know takes place in um in North Africa
0: absolutely Mike Aquilina is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe Joe we have another uh We have time for another question before the break.
1: I just want to make a quick comment. You mentioned a lot of individuals, um, and I'm looking at the cover of your book. I mean, this gentleman is clearly not blonde and blue-eyed. I mean, and I I look at myself. um, I'm a swarthy fellow as well. I mean, I come from southern Italy. Southern Italian
0: that you are. (laughs) I mean,
1: people have this idea of when they think of like, you know, say Augustine, which is dropped, you know, all over the Catholic world to this very day, his name, that he was again, you know, a European looking man. Christ was Semitic, you know, like he came, you ever see someone from the Middle East, they're not blonde and blue eyed. I mean, there's a a perception in the Western world that these men um, look a certain way, but that's clearly not, going to be historically accurate. Talk about that, and that'll
2: take us to the break. Well, it's interesting. When you read the ancients, you find that they don't treat uh, issues of race the way we do. They acknowledge differences in skin color, right? They, They recognize that people differ in this way because you... You can't not recognize that. But it's not a question of value for them. It's not a question of what kind of people are more valuable. St. Augustine, in an offhand way in one place, notes that there are people in Ethiopia who are darker than he is. There are people in, uh, in, in France, in Gaul, who are fairer skinned than he is but he's mentioning that just to just to uh, you know as a as a passing point about the diversity of peoples he's not he's not uh, assigning a value to any of those things so yes there was that kind of diversity uh but it's it's not noted as much uh in the ancient world as it is in the modern uh you know when we when we look at uh the the new testament we find in the acts of the apostles uh that there were jews from ethiopia going to jerusalem for the holy day we find the ethiopian eunuch who has the encounter with philip and is converted and baptized and he goes back to ethiopia right um but the um nobody ever mentions his skin color it was not thought of as something significant uh you know it's a different world nowadays and uh and i think that we have something that we can learn from that world uh it's uh it's not that nobody hated anybody else in the ancient world they just found other reasons to hate one another yeah race wasn't the factor. (laughs) that race was not the factor right and 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 we can learn from them in that way
0: well mike Aquilina, that's i mean just a, a quick comment and maybe you want to comment on it before the break is that's why people need to read history. Yes. Because if you just get, if you just get caught up with these Mm -hmm. and what's on social media, well then you'll be convinced that that's the way the world is, but that's not the way the world was Um, that, that these categories that we're talking about like race. No, the Roman empire was very, very big geographical area encompassing many different kinds of people. Yeah, you're right. They hate, hate, in many cases, like Rome hated Carthage, as you mentioned, and vice versa. The Romans suffered one of their worst defeats militarily in all of their history at the hands of Carthage. I think it was the Battle of Cannae. They lost uh, 30,000, 40,000 Roman soldiers, okay? But they didn't hate each other because Hannibal happened to be dark-skinned and Cato happened to be light-skinned. My larger point, Mike, and I love a comment on it before the break real quick, is that's why people need to just start reading history. And maybe yes. they'll get a different perspective. There, there, there may be a little paradigm shift is yes. in order here. What say you, Mike aquilino because,
2: because if even if you look around, uh look around yourself today and, and see that there are injustices in our in our moment right now, you acknowledge that we have these injustices. Well, you have to ask, how did we get here? It took a long time for us to get here, a long chain of events. You want to find out what happened, what was good about our past, what went wrong? You learn so much from history. You know, the, the, the least thing you learn is, uh, is, is what to avoid as you go forward into the future. But if you don't know that history, you don't know about the possibilities for life, and you don't know about the things that you want to avoid or the things that you want to embrace, the things that you want to fight for, that you want to die for. There are good exa- examples of all of these things in history Uh, but we have to go looking for it.
0: Well, that's exactly right. I'm glad you said that. Mike Aquilina is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We're going to take a quick break. Please go out and buy his book. Buy it from the publisher, Emmaus Road Publishing. Read history. And this history, we'd like for you to read Africa and the early church, the almost forgotten roots of Catholic Christianity. Almost because Mike Aquilina is here to make sure that it's not forgotten. Stick around. We have another great segment.
1: Catholic Radio works,
0: and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pusillo, Joe Racinello. We are Way in the Breach with Mike Aquilina. We're discussing his new book, Africa and the Early Church, the Almost Forgotten Roots of Catholic Christianity, that's available at Emmaus Road Publishing. Remember, you can find us at 103. Uh, excuse me, uh, 103.5 on your AM dial. FM. I'm sorry, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Follow Joe and I, if you don't mind, on uh, social media. Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube, and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Help us out with a like, a subscribe, and a share. Joe Racinello.
1: Before we get into the 7th and 8th century where the Arab invasion comes along and basically, uh, to be honest with you, put the Christians— brought him out to the woodshed and, you know, to put it in mildly. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the monastic movement that came out of North Africa. I think it's very important. You have Anthony of the desert, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he came from North Africa. That movement, um, extended itself all the way to Charles de Foucault, which is, you know, a recent saint in the Catholic world. Um, talk about that because i think it's very very significant anthony of the desert had a huge impact on the catholic
2: world well there had always been ascetics in the church right it's people who are athletes of prayer we we um we always have had uh christians who wanted to imitate um, St. John the Baptist, for example, the great gospel figure of of asceticism. Our our Lord himself spent 40 days fasting in the desert, and people have always wanted to, to do that like him follow him, imitate him and and spend those days alone with God uh, that had that had been happening you know all through the first century, second century but in the third century there came this figure, Anthony of Egypt. Now he's not the first monk to live that way. He's often called the father of monasticism, but that's for other reasons, because we know that even he had a master, Paul the hermit, who guided him in the ways of the ascetical life, living alone with God in the desert. The thing about Anthony is that he became a celebrity for it, okay? He's living all by himself, and he draws disciples to himself and he tries to avoid the situation because he had always planned to be alone with God so he keeps going further out into the desert and people still followed him out there until as uh, as as uh, St. Athanasius put it in the 4th century it became like a city in the desert there were so many people going out there to follow Anthony and imitate him in this way of life. So this is the birth of what we might call organized monasticism, and Anthony is the one who gives the first guidance in how to do this. It's 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 his own, uh, it's guidance that's drawn from his own experience and applied to a social situation when all these monks were living together, but it has a deep influence on all the monasticism that comes afterward, all right? Later on, we have monastic community all over. St. Augustine himself in North Africa, you know, he laid down a rule for his own little community that he had, the other clergy he lived with. He also, you know, had a certain authority over uh, a, a group of, of monastic women there in, in North Africa. So in North Africa— we find these these deep roots of monasticism in both the the greek speaking tradition and the latin uh tradition also in the coptic tradition you know all of this is going on in north africa and will eventually influence what happens in europe uh with the great monastic centers there in europe as well but again so many of these things have their deepest roots you know their their uh their greatest developments in in the continent of africa
0: Mike Mike Aquilina, let me ask you a question. I'm going to try to put myself in the in the in the shoes of a, a young person in college nowadays. Okay, and the stuff that they learn there, um, I don't even know if you would call it learning, but let's try to be charitable. <laughs> um, somebody might say, what, "What what is it with these people living behind these walls in these monasteries? How did that affect history at all?" In other words, how does that? How does a bunch of guys or a bunch of women praying behind these walls? In other words, what what does that do? What Talk about, in in a a general way, but maybe more specific with the the North African monasteries, but you could obviously include Europe, um, is what was so important about, what is the value in the monastic movement? What is the value of a monastery in terms of the culture, in terms of civilizing, the civilizing effect that it has?
2: Well, you know, the monastic movement first comes about in, in the time when the, the Roman empire is pretty established and and pretty prosperous and and doing okay right it's 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 in that that fourth century when when the roman empire is first christian but the monastic movement is something that becomes very important as rome begins to decline and there come dark ages upon uh the middle east and upon the west right and, and upon europe uh because because suddenly there's a decline in the economy, piracy returns, and so there's not as much international trade. The standard of living goes down all through Europe, and 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 who is it that's keeping uh, the culture? Alive. Who is it that's preserving the ancient culture and developing the arts and the sciences? Well, it was those people who were living behind walls and dedicating all their lives to this. They were the ones who copied out the manuscripts for century after century after century. They're the ones who did translations. They're the ones who... who kept the the language arts alive when most people had fallen into illiteracy. There was so much going on in, uh, in the monasteries and and that, that, that provided the only continuity between ancient learning and modern learning. Uh, we owe so much to, to those monks. And again, so much of the movement came out of Africa.
0: One, one final question on the, on the monastic movement, Mike, and then we'll move on. What about their view of work? of labor.
2: <laughs> well that was something that uh that was just an intensification of Christian doctrine. If you if you read the ancient sources uh the more ancient sources the pagan sources you'll find that um that the pagans in general took a dim view of human labor, especially if you were someone who worked with your hands, you were seen as ignoble and incapable of virtue, to use a phrase that Aristotle uh, used to describe laborers, right? Uh, Christianity upended this because our God was a carpenter, right? And the apostles were fishermen, and uh, and a lot of other uh, menial trades were involved in in the development of Christianity. Like uh, Saint Paul was a tent maker. Okay, so we saw that all of these different kinds of labor could have could have dignity and and great dignity at that. Uh, that the the world could be could be changed and could be run by these people who were ordinary laborers. And that spirit was kept alive in the monasteries. You were expected to pray in the monasteries. You were ex- Expected to learn in the monasteries, but you were also expected to labor in the monasteries, to work with your hands, to keep yourself busy, and to keep yourself busy about the development of of um of the spiritual life in the world and in the church.
0: It's funny. Um, I I work um, in a restaurant, so I have um and I have a lot of uh, a lot to do with the wine program where I work. And and every time like I see a bottle of Don Perignon, like I, I think in my mind, that came from a monastery. That's like, right. A, a lot of the things that we have beer and and, and and other things that we take for granted. Um, I was looking at a bottle of uh, Chateau neuf de Pop the other day. You know, this is the, the Pope's house, you know, like <laughs> obviously. So a lot of good things aside from the alcohol. <laughs> a yeah. lot of good things came from those monasteries.
2: Absolutely, and even even the liqueurs like chartreuse, they're still coming out of monasteries, right? The monastery yes. closely yes. guards this secret recipe that it's had for about a thousand years now has been producing for us and it's it's a sublime thing if you've ever tasted it
0: i have i have and it is uh joe resinello
1: let's <clears throat> let's talk 7th and 8th century arab invasions impact on the early christians we breached the subject a little earlier please mike elaborate
2: Hmm, okay well you know you have this new religious movement um uh, rising in the Arab world uh Muhammad is leading uh leading Arab Arab armies really through these formerly Christian countries now the Byzantine Empire had suffered incursions from the Arabs before. This is this had been an ongoing problem, but now it had the force of religion behind it. There was a certain fierceness, a ferocity that could only be inspired by religion. You know, where you have a lot of soldiers who are willing to die because they believed it would lead to uh, lead to a better life for them in the afterlife. So, uh, so this happens. You know, it takes on great momentum. Muhammad was was uh, was a charismatic leader. Uh, rather re- remarkable uh, in history. Uh, it's said that, uh, at least the, the early Christians claimed, the, that he um, he had received his doctrine from an Aryan monk, you know, uh, a monk who did not believe that Jesus was divine. And Muhammad preserved that doctrine uh, in his own religion, because Jesus appears as a figure, uh, but he is not a divine figure. He is merely a prophet. So uh Muhammad is taking this religion and he's um he's imposing it after after his um his conquests. Now there are some places where it's not imposed with the sword. It's it's rather imposed with um with with a tax, you know. I mean, uh, uh there there were there were there were greater taxes levied on um on, on on non-muslims in these in these cities like like Damascus eventually. Um, so the Christians either had to take a secondary status within the city because they were poorer and they were denied access to certain um uh to they were denied access to certain professions uh, or they they could leave and many did leave. The remarkable thing is that so many Christians stayed and they preserved their communities in these places for more than a millennium and a half now uh you know we find we we find the ancient christian communities in places like iraq and syria and jordan and that they've endured all of these um these centuries uh, and they've kept the faith intact and and they move it forward even in our own day yeah we
0: were mentioning uh saints and martyrs earlier and that's one of the things that i i i don't understand why people don't want to take a, um a, a very how should we call it? Sober look at history. Islam was spread by the sword. Mm-hmm. And it's just a fact. OK, if you look at a, you can't you cannot maraud through North Africa, the Middle East, make your way through Spain and into Europe, into France or what was then Gaul, I guess. Um, you know, in that period of time without without doing it through violence. Yeah. And, and that's exactly how it was spread. But you're looking about the conquest of the Persians. I mean, there wouldn't have even been a European history if it wasn't for Charles Martel at the Battle of Tours. The, the, the Muslim would have, would have come right into France and eventually taken over Europe. Um, and I don't know why people compare that. And I guess I, 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 you know, this obviously speaks to what we're talking about here. The, the, the early church, Christianity, was spread by shedding your own blood. You yeah. mentioned Perpetua and Felicity and so many others who shed their own blood. They didn't spread the gospel of Jesus Christ you know, by shedding someone else's blood. No, um, I think we have- that- Go ahead, Mike.
2: Uh, You know, there's a a great record of how that happened in just the words of Tertullian. Uh, I said before that so many of the lines that echo in our head and define Christianity for us were lines that were given to us, that were set down by North African Christians. And Tertullian is chief among us. He and Augustine are just two of the most quotable figures in human history. But Tertullian is the one who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? So you're not shedding somebody else's blood, as you pointed out, Joe. You know, it's your own blood that's being shed. And that's what made Christianity so attractive to others. Another line that Tertullian recorded at the time was, see those Christians how they love one another. See how they love one another, right? It's not, you know, see the power they have, right? No, it's see how they love one another. And then he goes on to, um, to, to, to list off, all of these uh, these charities that the Christian that, that Christians provide for 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 their people uh, at the time. They visit the imprisoned, you know they take in orphans, they, they, uh, they have concern for widows and they they support widows. Um, uh, they, uh, they, 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 uh, they feed feed the hungry and so on. There's a long list of these um, of these things that Christians do uh, often using the uh, the offertory, um collection that's taken up at every mass tertullian's just trying to explain where that money goes and it it goes it goes to the assistance of others so those two lines the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and see those christians how they love one another really define the way christianity grew you know it it modeled a kind of love that people wanted to have in their lives and i think that's what people still want today they right. want that love when they see it
0: I I I I couldn't agree with you more. Mike Aquilina, join us here at the front line with Joe. And Joe, I'm going to make a quick comment. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. That's why one of the main reasons. Uh, in my life, I, I I was not practicing for a long time, probably good maybe a good 15, 20 years. Um, I never left the church, but I just quite frankly wasn't wasn't practicing. Um, and kind of in doubt. And one of the things that I thought about, um, because I was always into history, but and, and this is what one of the things that led me back to to practicing the faith was you would expect Islam to spread rapidly as it did. Uh, by the standards of the world, which is through the sword, okay, because that's the way it did spread. And you would have expected Christianity, Christianity, to be squashed like a bug, and never have gotten taken off. The church should not be here if yes. you judge by historical standards. All right, and, and I mean Nero thought, "I'll just get rid of it. Yeah, I'll just kill them all." All right. Yeah. A lot of people thought that way. Stalin, up to the present day or, or recent history, Stalin thought, that, "I'll just kill them all." Doesn't work that way. And yet that's the right. church is still here.
2: That's right. You know, you, I, don't, I don't know if you, you you saw a couple of years ago, there was a New York Times bestseller titled Dominion by Tom Holland, a British historian. And, you know, his point in that book, it's an intellectual history of the West, but his point in the book is that apart from Christianity, the only measure of success in the world has been power it's been power that's manifest in violence and holland is not writing as a christian right he he identifies as an agnostic right but he's he's in an agony really over what will be the future If Christianity continues to be eclipsed in the world, you know, we revert to this this world where power is is paramount, right? And and, and Christianity really offers something quite different. You know, those those Christians in North Africa uh, who inspired the pagans around them to say, see how they love one another and inspired Tertullian, their co-religionist to say that the blood of the martyrs is seed what the christians took into that world was love love that was that was going to be there for you unto death right it's the same kind of love that you see on the cross it's the same kind of love that you see in a crucifix in your church you know and uh and and the christians tried to embody that in their world what i wanted to do in this book is to show that north africa was one of those places where that took place and uh and and really uh inspired the rest of the world and um, mm. and I it really I is a, it really is a remarkable
0: history. story it you know at the end of the day if you even if you're not a christian you have to look at the especially the the history of the early church and we're glad you wrote this book mike aquilina talking about it particularly in north africa um it is it is a remarkable story and you can't just describe it as you mentioned power the, 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 the what you just described was the power of god <laughs> you know, like like the, the power of the world versus the power of God, and obviously that's that's not really a contest at all. Let's let's keep it moving a little bit. If you're just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Africa and the Early Church: The Almost Forgotten Roots of Catholic Christianity. That's out from Emmaus Road Publishing. Please please buy it from the publisher. And the author is with us today, Michael Aquilina. Joe Rasinello.
1: Mike, clearly, uh, when you think North Africa, you don't like countries like Tunisia, Morocco, uh, Algeria. Christianity does not come to the forefront of your mind. But you just laid a very, very significant groundwork basically contradicting that. Yeah. Um, why isn't this taught? You know, because it's fact. You're, it's factual, historically factual. Yeah. It's not taught.
2: Why? be because because why would you uh it wouldn't be on your radar you you know about uh about the ancient history of rome why because rome is a tourist trap right people go there and they want to see the Colosseum. they want to see the forum they want to see all those places and so many of the places they want to see are christian monuments that that again are, are magnets for tourists. Uh, Rome itself has been a Christian country uh, for low these many years, Italy itself has been a, a Christian country for all these many years, and has promoted itself as such. Uh, in North Africa, that hasn't been the case. Um, most, if, most of these countries, if not all of them, uh, have, um, have, have been uh, Islamicized. Uh, over time, and uh, and they did not promote themselves as as centers of Christian culture or even centers of Christian pilgrimage. Uh, they have not uh, put themselves forward as having a Christian history. So in some cases, you even have. Um, uh, you have these lands where uh, the Christian peoples themselves don't know their history. There was a great paper done several years ago by a, an archaeologist named Emma Lucely where she um, she did research in Syria and and determined that the local Christian population did not know that it had a, you know a, a Christian history going back to those early centuries because it wasn't taught in the schools. Why wasn't it taught in the schools? because it wasn't on anyone's radar. They weren't interested in it. That's why I said it's almost been forgotten. And and, and I really want to see a revival of our interest in this area because it's not something foreign. It should not be something foreign to us. This is our own history. If we're talking about St. Augustine, we're talking about one of the men who formed the mind of the West and made our civilization something distinctive, something different from everything that had gone before.
0: Mike Aquilina, let me ask you this, just just as as an historian, okay. The problem I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the Catholic Church and and uh, um and teachers in the church look at history as a as a movement a, a, a movement of history. There's a there's a beginning point. There will be an end point. Okay, we don't look at let's say the thousand years of both the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire. Okay, we don't look at that just by itself. Mm-hmm. We looked how it we look at it how it came into being. What happened at its height? You mentioned Augustus, the Pax Romana. What happened at its decline? How did the church play into this? History is fluid. It moves along. Isn't that one of the problems? Is that everybody just wants to look at a moment in history? Mm-hmm. But you're not getting the full picture. That's right. And and we and 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 cat the Catholic church has always in our schools have taught the full picture of mm-hmm. human history.
2: Is my analysis off mic? Well, you know, I don't think that we in the West did a good job of teaching the full picture because I don't think, you know, I have textbooks way back there on those shelves back there that are, are grade school and high school textbooks that purport to tell the history of, of the Western Church, right? Um, and and they really don't focus on Africa. Now, why is that? Well, because the textbooks were for students who were descended from people from Europe, Right. And so they were they you know, they're they're focused on the history as it had been received by the historians in the European lands. And the historians in the European lands were mostly interested in European history. Wow. And they themselves, as historians, had forgotten what had influenced European history. You know, these lands of of northern Africa, especially you know e- egypt and carthage you know the 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 profound difference that these lands made in uh, in the way we think out here in the west uh this these are the earliest influences these are these are the the primal influences on on us and and um and and, and it's something that that had just vanished from from their own Way of telling their their story, mm-hmm. uh, and and again, I think it's something that we need to recover if we're to understand who we really are as a people.
0: I always thought I'm going to hand it over to Joe probably for one final question, but I always thought in my mind, you know, you 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 have to you have to study history. You can't nothing makes sense if you don't like you can't you can't even make sense of your own life. That's in your right. society, in your nation, if you know nothing about history, if you think it's just some oh, it's just, it's a bunch of stories, you're you're shortchanging yourself. Yes, you're, you, yes,
2: you're, yes. You 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 nailed it right there. I just got a note from an old friend of mine, college friend of mine, whose mother just died. Right, and he said at the time of her death, you know, he's talking with his older siblings, and he found out all of these things about the life of his mother that he had not known before nobody had ever told him before so now he's 60 years old and he's looking back on his life and suddenly he's reconsidering everything because he's had a changed view of his own human formation that he got from his mother right? This is what happens when we study history. It changes the way we view our own human formation. It makes us more critical consumers of culture in our own time. It makes us more deliberate about the choices we make for the future. You know, uh, we gain so much when we read history.
0: Absolutely. Joe Rasinello. we probably have time for one more question from Mike Aquilina.
2: Mike, let's talk about today.
1: Sub-Saharan Africa, the faith is growing. The seminaries are packed. Benedict, Pope Benedict, God rest his soul, stated that he believed the future of the church was in Africa. Recently, Pope Francis was just in the Congo and the southern—in South Sudan. At his mass in the Congo, there were a million people. A million people. people. <laughs> a million. Some are saying that we should expect an African pope in the near future. Your thoughts on the future of Catholicism
2: in Africa? I would welcome that. I would welcome and I do welcome all of these things, you know. I've had a very positive experience of of African Christianity as it's 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 appearing on our shores now, you know. It's it's a great thing. We also have our own uh African American traditions within the Catholic Church because because so many African Americans uh Embraced the Catholic Church uh, as they as they came here in the 18th and 19th centuries, uh, and into the into in, into the 20th century. Uh, so many Africans came into the country, often not by their own choice, but they were they were brought into the faith as they as they arrived here. We have our own traditions too. I'm I'm very positive about the um the the contributions that that have been made and will be made uh, to the faith from um from this mix of cultures that 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 the faith has always been I think that if we look to our ancient history we'll see that that what we're experiencing now has just always been the case has always been the history of the church um that that we're catholic we are universal and that means embracing all culture and and inculturating the faith in in many different ways so you know we'll be tried we'll be tested we'll be uh we'll be asked to expand um our um, our ideas of of um of worship and uh and of um, and of uh, the uh, the expression of the faith, but the faith will remain the same. You know, even as it goes through the the filters of all of these different cultures. So I'm I'm very positive about the future. You know, God has guided us through 2,000 years of of great adversity. You know, and He's going to to guide us through through the future as well. Um, I'm willing to be surprised. I'm ready to be surprised.
0: I'm with you on that, Mike Aguin. You know what? Europe has influenced Africa for a very long time, and mm-hmm. I think to Joe's point and to your point, it's about time Africa influences Europe. Yes, um, and 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 it'll be Catholic Africa um that's going to do that one quick example um and uh this is not to get political but it's a good example of what we're talking about is there's a clip going around i believe the gentleman's from nigeria he's a up uh, up there at one of the one of the world bodies either the un or whatever and he's talking about the europeans selling his nation a bill of goods mm-hmm. that if you want aid from europe to, from the eu you have to buy into these values and 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 in a nutshell he said hell no Right. Nice. Hell oh, no. Unless we have boundaries, he goes. I don't. We're not, We're not. We're not taking the money. I'm. I'm paraphrasing. We're not taking the money with strings attached, like abortion and, and 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 LGBT. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. And I and and I thought it was very powerful because somebody who's got some some stones, you know, mm-hmm. spe- you know, speaking up to secular Europe. And I'll repeat myself, Europe, God willing, is going to be influenced by Africa moving forward. Mike Aquilina, we have to leave it there. Um, we love you to death. We're so happy that you came on the show and you're always, always very um, entertaining and enlightening and educational for us and for our audience. The book, Emmaus Road Publishing, uh, is the is the uh, publisher, Africa and the Early Church, the Almost Forgotten Roots of Catholic Christianity. Mike, where could our uh, listeners follow learn more about what you have going on aside from the book?
2: Well, my my website is fathersofthechurch.com, fathersofthechurch.com. Best place to get my books is catholicbooksdirect.com, catholicbooksdirect.com. They have a page with all of them on it.
0: Awesome. Mike Aquilina, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We really appreciate it.
2: Thanks again for having me. Boy, that hour goes by in a minute.
0: It does. It does. And thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere.
1: We'll talk to you soon.